Hello and welcome to Law Implications, where the dots are connected by myself and my trusty partner... Coach! Yes, exactly. This episode is a very special episode because uh, we figured we might as well celebrate the release of Dark Souls 3 with a special episode on Dark Souls Law. Now, we're going to, in spite of the the easy access uh, we have to Dark Souls 3 lore, what with people having been playing it for the past month, we're going to primarily focus on Dark Souls 1 with some elements of Dark Souls 2. Uh, the ones that can actually be explained, rather than just being a huge pile of... yeah, yeah. Mostly us being a thing. Yeah. Which is a l- big thing about Dark Souls lore. Uh, it's usually just a thing. It's hard to get a coherent picture unless you piece it together by thinking up the connections yourself. But that's what we do here. We try to do that. We want to connect dots, and Dark Souls is a perfect opportunity to do that, because there's only dots and no lines. Well, there are a few lines, but they're few and far in between. Ah, this is true. (laughs) We start out with... Uh, Dark Souls 1 and its intro, which basically gives us a background story on the world that we are in, uh, to the point where it's probably several thousand years before the actual playtime, but in spite of this, it still has characters that are alive by the time we if we play through it. Uh, in, it starts in a period called the Age of Ancients, a point in time where there is there is just being. There is no life, there is no death, there's no heat, no cold. Yeah, there's there just is. And in this grey, mist-filled world exists a few beings uh, that are pseudo-alive by the by the sheer uh, fact that they are existing. We have the uh, stone dragons, who live in the arch trees, and then we have some unnamed creatures that just sort of existed underneath the earth. At least that is what we're led to believe, considering that it was just dark, where there was at least some sort of, not necessarily light source, but uh, the sense there was neither light nor dark, there was, it, it was possible to see something uh, in the grey, misty area. It's really weird, actually. Yes, it is very weird. <laughs> Generally. But the, the the entire concept is that there there's just nothing... The, the entire concept of life, life itself relies on there being death, and there is no duality to this world. No, nope. right now. It is just one state of being with no alt- alternatives in any sense of the word. Now, eventually, through means unknown, a flame, the first flame, sparks to life uh, underneath the earth where these other creatures existed. And uh, some of them managed to fi- find out, hey, there's something about this. This this isn't quite like anything else we're used to. And four beings, uh, which we will refer to as lords after this, grasp part of this first flame and each acquire a lord's soul. These being like... Uh, essentially, essentially, they're sort of like badges of godhood because they give you the ability to govern certain uh, certain aspects of this new, uh, this new duality that the existence of the first flame has created, because it's, it's more so that really that um, 
the Lord's Souls. Souls in the Dark Souls games uh, generally represent the uh, collected strength that an individual possesses. Mm. Lord's Souls are very large souls, so they have a lot of power. So the ones who possess these souls are very powerful. And to this reason we have the uh, the is a sudden appearance of the four lords. Uh, we have Lord Gwyn, Lord of Sunlight, and he represents the soul of light, evidently, since he's the Lord of Sunlight. We have the Witch of Isolith, who represents the soul of life. We have Nito, first of the dead, who represents the soul of death, or, and also took it. Now, exactly how how this whole thing, whether whether Nito died as the first person as soon as he grasped the soul of death or whatever, we we don't know. But he was the first of the dead and he managed to get the, his hand on the soul of death. And finally, we have the furtive pygmy, a creature that uh, that we will talk about later in, in what we assume to be uh, to be what he became after he got the dark soul. But the furtive pygmy took the dark soul and sort of started all of the, a lot of the things that we are going to talk about later on at least that is our belief and what a lot of others have also uh gotten to through their theorizing and speculation indeed and to be fair there's already a sort of duality sense here when um, the souls are introduced before there was just the state of being there was nothing else mm. Th then you have the soul of life you have the soul of death you have the soul of light, and you have the soul of dark. The dark soul, the light soul, the life soul, and the death soul. Death soul. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's not talk about naming conventions here, because uh, Dark Souls is a, is a very, very, very nice title for a game, but the rest of the things, the death soul, life soul, and so on, and uh, it's just, no. They aren't even called that. They They are just representing these aspects of existence. Yeah, and it is uh, us fans who refer to the, uh, these things as the dark soul, the light soul, and so on. Although I do believe that it is, that it is actually said in the intro cinematic for Dark Souls that the furtive pygmy took the dark soul. So if nothing yes. else, that one is actually named, but the rest aren't. We just apply the same naming convention to the rest. That said, the furtive pygmy is not at all relevant to any part of the story right now. No, he is not. Right, the, then the game, uh, or the intro cinematic rather, it goes over and tells us a, um, a legend that is passed down in one of the lands outside of where the game takes place, a land called Astora. Now, the game itself takes place in Lordran. A kingdom. Yes, but when people begin to turn into something that is referred to as undead which means that they can't die in any sense of the word. They, Whenever they do die, they turn slightly more hollow, slightly more without any uh, internal life force, but they don't die. They don't stop moving. They don't rot. They just continue on. Let's try to explain this a little better. So um, you had the first flame which kindled. It sparked up and it became... It uh, burnt you actually get to see an image of what's presumably the first flame burning in raging proportions in an under underground cave somewhere, which 
you get to visit in the game. But um, it burns with in a huge area, and it's uh, when the game starts placing, taking place and people go undead, this is when the fire has begun dying out. It has stopped burning as uh, brightly, more or less. And uh, since the duality of the world is directly um, directly linked to this existence of the flame, when it actually flutters and dies out, the world would presumably return to the same state of existence that it was before, where there was no reality, no life, no death, no light, no dark. Just being. So, humans, being humans, uh, once they turn on dead and start gradually losing their own self, losing their own humanity as they die, or just get have it taken from them through some other means, because there are other means of losing your humanity. <laughs> there are, but they, those are... They are more invasive than death. Yes. And that says a few things. But yeah, undead start losing their humanity gradually as they go on. Eventually they go hollow, which turns them into these um, mindless, more or less... Husks. Husks of their former self. They retain all of their skills that they possessed in life, etc., etc., but they are, by all means, zombies, I guess. They have no sense of self anymore. So, uh, all, uh, yeah. all they do is essentially exist, <laughs> act, act out against whatever might come near them uh, in order to. Uh, they, it, there's some, uh, some manner of self preservation going on, but it's like. It, it's not. Uh, overly developed in any sense of, uh, of the word. They 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 just sort of there. It's not so either. The ho- a hollow person, any hollow, will seek out souls. The player character, which you are, has souls. You still have a soul because you're not completely hollow while going through the game. And that's why all the undead around you, the actual hollowed out undead, will, without any provocation, attack you. Because you have souls that they don't have. And humanity. <laughs> and humanity, indeed. The whole thing, and uh, in regards to this uh, thing with the hollows and and humanity, ties into the dark soul at, uh, at a later point. Uh, first, I figure that we should also mention the introduction of uh, Dark Souls 2 and its small uh, area of the world called Drang Lake. Which, at first, when the game came out, a lot of people speculated that Drang Lake was just Lordran, but, you know, a few hundred years or a few thousand years later, so it had changed and had gotten a new name. And and we even have an NPC in Dark Souls 2 that keeps saying something about how the place has been known under many names throughout the ages, so... It was certainly it's certainly a possibility based on that, and that's an important note because the um, whole uh, flame dying out and burning bright goes in cycles. If it's uh, actually continuously fueled, yes, and we also do have the kiln of the first flame underneath Drang Lake, where which would imply that the kiln of the first flame from the first game is the same one, but. We, we still don't know if that's a certainty. But there's nothing certain in Dark Souls. 
No, no, that is true. The only certain thing in Dark Souls is that you die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You will <laughs> die eventually at so, uh, some point. <laughs> you won't die permanently, but you will die. We also have uh, uh, two very common themes with uh, with the kings of Lordran and Drang in the sense that King Gwyn was uh, sat on sat on the throne uh, in Dark Souls 2 terms and he linked the fire and he offered himself to start uh, start continue the age of fire which is what the age after the age of ancients is called because the fire came and everything suddenly became you know able uh, you became able to t- uh, tell things apart from one another there was actually life and death and actually heat and cold and actually i don't know order and chaos which we will also get to and light and dark of course the most important ones whereas in dark souls 2 we do have a king who was supposed to sit on the throne uh but he sort of think, uh, figured nah I, I i don't want to do this this uh, this seems uh, too too much uh, out of my depth I'm going to find another way to um, stave off this curse of the undead. Yeah, exactly. And it sort of... He sort of managed to do that, eventually. For a while. <laughs> yeah. Then we have the four lords that we talked about before. We have Lord Gwyn, also the king of Lordran, or as close to a king as you could, uh, you could get. We have the Witch of Isolith, we have Nito, the first of the dead, and then we have the first of Pygmy. Now, Gwyn split his soul into uh, his lord's soul into many smaller pieces that was uh, were then given to uh, individuals that had served him in some capacity, and uh, therefore he felt were honourable or at least uh, worthy of a part of his his power. Uh, we uh, such creatures included. Um, Seath, the scaleless dragon, which helped uh, Gwyn and the other lords fight off the stone dragons of the uh, Misty Age of Ancients so that they could create their Age of Fire. We have uh, the kings of New Londo, which were four kings, who assisted in uh, creating this, well, this this haven for undead, the, the city where they could, uh, they could keep the undead away from the ordinary citizens. Then we have the Knights of Gwyn, although it's not entirely certain whether they got a shard of his soul or not. It's quite unlikely, uh, given the quest in the first game, but there's still something that might hint at them having at least gotten some minor bits of his power. If nothing else, they have very powerful souls. They do, they do indeed. And four Knights of Gwyn we'll also talk about a bit later, but they're not relevant to the rest. Then we have the Witch of Isolith, who was the uh, or the, the one who got the life soul, and she created the School of Firemancy, which is a kind of uh, magic craft within the world of Dark Souls that we'll probably also talk a bit uh, more about later. And she, together with her daughters, uh, which is something that is well, it's stressed in the intro cinematic that. The witches of Isolith are female witches. We don't have that many males, if any at all, within the, uh, those uh, within their ranks. We have the witch of Isolith, her daughters of chaos. Exactly, 
and eventually and son <laughs> and one son one son than we know of <laughs> eventually things go wrong when she tries to recreate the first flame with her flame of life which then results in the flame of chaos instead and the birth of demons but we'll also get into that more a bit later then we have Nito uh, with his uh, death soul and all he really did was just you know creep down into a very 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 deeply dug graveyard and then just stay there and not really bother with the rest he does have like uh, he does have a covenant in the game which are which you, you could say uh, a type like of pacts. order or pacts yes order. related uh, related to ver- various entities among other things we uh, we have the the one related to Nito and the remnants of the witches of Isolus, the daughters of chaos but in Kinito's case we do have a more uh, of undead or mortal people who offer the, uh, offer up their services to the lord of the dead to become grave lords where they seek out uh, other people across the world and you know offer them death because that's yep. the nice thing to do you, you you just spread the message of death this is what you do now. <laughs> yep. So, again, that sort of speaks for itself, considering that he is Lord of Death. Yes. And... But before before we tread too far into the area of game mechanics, which mm. Covenants are, we have the, the three Lords whom are relevant to the story itself mm. in Lordran, and then we have the Furtive Pygmy who's relevant before we actually come as player characters to Lord. He's not relevant during the Age of Ancients because um, he does not take part. But the Furtive Pygmy is the primordial man. The first human, as far as we know. Yeah. Well, a, lo- a lot of creatures were also humans, but the one with the Dark Soul is the Furtive Pygmy, which is the father of men, really. Because the other lords are giants, in a sense. Or at least another type of humanoid being. Um, yeah. Gwyn and his kin are not only because Gwyn has a large soul, but the his kin is just on a scale that are much larger than human beings, and presumably giants. Yes, and they're also referred to as gods, his entire family. He has an uncle, which means there's someone older than him, but he still uh, he still got the, the light soul anyway, so... Uh... But he has an uncle who's leading the church that called the Way of White uh, in another country far away from Lordran. But the, uh, the the religion is sort of related to them, not quite. But the, they are the ones who t- uh, teach the type of magic that Gwyn himself created from his soul. We assume, and we uh, we have we have his daughter that you can encounter, or possible illusion or illusion of his daughter. Uh, that you can encounter in-game who is just humongous. Although that it might be because she's an illusion, we don't know. That that might be... We never know. It's never explained. <laughs> never, ever. We, we we can also assume that the Witches of Isolith were uh, uh, like an Amazonian-type thing because we only know of one male, and that was one son of the, uh, the, the Witch of Isolith. So there's that... Uh, that and they could uh, they could also very well have been larger than the, your average human based on 
the humanoid parts. On the other hand, we do encounter one non-mutated Witch of Isolith who is essentially human in both size and function, although that could also be due to the game mechanics and the presentation of the game itself. We don't know. What we do know is, the, is that Gwyn is huge, and he's the Lord of Cinder and Sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> Nito, the first of them, doesn't really have his own his own race, so to speak. We, he's just one large mass of skeletons that's kind of covered in this this loke of death. That's uh, death and darkness. He, I suppose his race is skeletons. Yes, his race is bones. Bones. He is the bone yes. baron. And then back to the Virta Pygmy, who is, uh, who is, as far as we know... The primordial man. <laughs> the primordial man, and thus the first of the humans as we know them in the game. And when we say primordial man, we also have to remember that the furtive pygmy obtains the dark soul. The dark soul represents darkness, that's implied in the name, but it's also part of human nature. The humanity, which is sought after by undead and hollows alike, is also dark. It's like a black thing that makes you human. Yeah, it, it, it fuels supposedly our desires for uh, for personal betterment. It also infuse, uh, infuses us with, uh, with our greed and uh, our egos and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Which is also why when, when hollows, uh, or when you hollow and you lose your humanity, you gradually lose your, ability, your drive and your ability to sort of reason for yourself. I think this is something we need to return to later when we get to talk about certain other aspects that humanity and uh, the fact of pygmy might be related to. I suppose. Yes. The four lords, or three of the lords, rather, defeated the stone dragons of the Age of Ancients, which were... I suppose you could call them silicon-based life forms. They were created... uh, They had this hard outer shell of rock and... That meant, uh, they, that made them immortal. They were referred to as the scales of immortality. Now we mentioned uh, Sifti Scalers uh, a bit earlier. He was one of the, the creatures that got a bit of uh, Gwyn's Lord Soul for assisting with the battle against these. He was born without these scales of immortality, and so uh, in an order to I don't know jealousy, you know, a drive of jealousy or something. He betrayed his dragon kindred anyway, yeah. and fought alongside Gwyn and his knights. In order to, uh, to 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 kill the dragons, and they managed to uh, to do it. The uh, Gwyn and his knights they fired off uh, li- uh, their sunlight bolts or lightning bolts or whatever uh, to cr- uh, to smash the scales to remove them from the skin of the dragons, which caused them to fall down, and which allowed Nito to introduce miasma and various kinds of diseases and illnesses to the uh, to the dragons, which then caused them to die. At the same time. The witches of Isolith just used their their pyromancy to burn down the arch trees, which was the places that the dragons had their nests. And the arch trees were trees made of stone. Yep, but As stone well. can catch on fire. Stone so can melt. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that sort of the sort of thing. They we are led to believe through the intro cinematic that all dragons are extinct. We do encounter a surviving dragon later on. Which allows we us to... We encounter a few, actually. Well, we encounter 
one dragon, and then we encounter a Wyvern or Drake, which isn't entirely the same. I thing, wasn't talking about that. I mean, Seif himself is a ah, Wyvern yes. dragon. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And then we have Calamite as well, but he's not interesting. <laughs> he's just angry. Yeah. Understandably so, but he's just angry. And that is it. Dragons also seem to be sort of related to magic in the world. Yeah, in a way. See, he was uh, was given his own dukedom in which he uh, became uh, both the poster boy for the uh, for the dragon school, uh, the dragon magic school of Vinheim, which was not in any way close to where his own duke's uh, archives, as it's referred to in game, was placed. But whatever, and he was well known for researching. New spells, among other things, along the, uh, while he tried to find out how he could achieve immortality himself without having the scales of immortality. That was his whole drive. Now, um, there are three main schools of magic sorcery, pyromancy, and miracles. Now, there is a sort of mix between sorcery and miracles, uh, depending on how you look at it, referred to as hexes, which is these more curse-like abilities that, that that focus more on darkness uh, as, as, a, as a source of uh, power or as the thing that they are manipulating. Whereas sorcery is direct manipulation of the soul or the use of souls in order to create various effects. Pyromancy Generally, a, a, lot of, a lot of the hexes are direct uh, perversions of existing sorceries and existing miracles. Yes, yes. Pyromancy speaks for itself. Manipulation of fire, the divination by fire. Uh, and miracles are like the holy uh, variety, or uh, the, the thing practiced by the priests around the whole thing. And it's also the way you get to throw, uh, throw around lightning spears, if that's your thing. So, if we have that, we have the magic, but I feel like we're missing something on the magic. We we know it's called the sorceries, we know it's called pyromancies, it's miracles, and there's also hexes. But where does all this actually come from? I mean, sorceries, a lot of the sorcery spells are called soul something, so we can assume it's shaping part of your soul into this force of some kind. Or at least using the same type of, uh, type of energy that souls are composed of within the uh, Dark Souls universe. There's not a whole lot explained about how sorceries work. In, in fact, despite being perhaps the, the largest of the magic schools in regards to these, uh, the spell library or whatever you wish to call it, uh, it is the one that we have the least amount of lore on. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of there to be like this, this arcane magic to be opposed to the, uh, the holy miracles and the slightly more primitive air quotes. Uh, pyromancy. The pyromancy is being brought by which of Isolive, who yes. represented life and chaos. And or it's, born, it's... Or birthed chaos, I guess, created yeah, chaos yeah. through the uses of this soul. Yes, it, it create, uh, she created chaos eventually. Pyromancy is also being practiced by, uh, by p the people of uh, the Great Swamp, and they are referred to as heretics, or unbelievers in, uh, in regards to the Way of White, which are the, uh, the priests and the miracle Uses mm -hmm. so they 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 are thought of as barbarians and therefore the pyromancy is thought of as 
lesser than the remaining two, although it is equally as powerful when you're skilled enough. Sorceries are not necessarily accepted by the, uh, those who practice miracles uh, or uh, are in any way part of the church, but they are more so accepted than pyromancy and pyromancers. We have an example in one of uh, Gwyn's early companions, Havel the Rock, who was fervently against the use of sorceries and also actively worked against the inclusion of Sieve the Scalers into their armies, as far as we know. At least he considered him an enemy, even when he was to be their ally. I don't think we can talk more about magic as such. No, not without going into very specific detail of some specific individuals and items. Ah, yes, yes. But those are only minor details anyway. And those are really easy to look up if you go to the Fextra Life wiki. Or any of the other wikis. Yes, But yes. Gener- generally, it's more... Mo- most of the information that you get is just, this guy happened to research and create this spell when he was studying at this university. <laughs> Which Whoop-de-doo. usually happens <laughs> to be the Dragon School of Winheim. Yes, you should. <laughs> For some reason. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it should be mentioned that there are specific spells uh, of the sorcery school that were, uh, that were created in order to be used for more martial means rather than being, you know, or, or, or be more commonly useful rather than direct attack magic. Uh, but there is a type of student in the Winheim School of Ma- uh, Magic where you could become a sort of assassin and they, then they would use specific uh, spells that would uh, si- uh, silence the, their steps or turn them invisible or make it so that they floated like, down like a feather whenever they jumped off high ledges and stuff like that. There's a lot of things anyway. Yes, so, so it's, it's not just all the direct manipulation of soul energy and throwing it at your enemy. No. Generally, sorceries are a thing for the academic in the Dark Souls. Mm. They are created by academics. Pyromancies are created by the ambitious. Miracles are created by the faithful, (laughs) or Mm. granted by the gods to the faithful, because nobody devises their own miracles, I don't know. And hexes are created, I don't know, it's through some sort of self- Search for self while also perverting other magic. Use it as a base. I want to cast a bolt like soul bolts do, but I want it to be a hex. So now I cast a bolt of dark mass thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do have an example with Falcon the Outcast from um, Dark Souls 2, in which he talks about how he found himself in in the dark rather than at the school that he attended which we assume to be the school of Melfia as it is called in Dark Souls 2 well it's directly mentioned that he is from the Melfian academies there we go yes <laughs> and he, he has as we also know from spell descriptions created some different versions of already existing sorceries and uh, miracles after you know turning to the dark so it is indeed like uh, as Pooch, uh, Pooch said, "You, it, it is through a journey of self-discovery that a lot of hexes are made. They're not necessarily set out to become these dark 
reflections of already existing spells, but that just happens when humans sort of discover the darkness within themselves. The remnants of the Dark Soul. Oh, did I just say that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> you just said that. Okay, well then we can... <laughs> now talk. we have to talk about it. Yes, we can talk about the Abyss, because that is linked to this in quite the way. Well, that's a, quite a leap. What's the Abyss anyway? What's the Abyss anyway, you ask? What's the Abyss? We've, uh, we've mentioned Gwyn. Well, at some point in time, he became aware of this thing that was going on somewhere that wasn't quite uh, something he knew how to deal with. And that is the Abyss. It is just... just We don't know if it's an alternate dimension or if it is a living thing or whatever it is, but it is this pitch blackness that uh, that sort of spreads like a form of corruption. And we don't exactly know how it was created or whether it was already a thing at some uh, before everything else. Uh, we don't know how, uh, how it came about. But we do know of a creature referred to as Manus, father of the Abyss. Who is the holder of the Dark Soul? Oh, wow! Now, what does this mean? <laughs> We've called the furtive pygmy for the primordial man. That is in direct reference to the expansion uh, set for the first Dark Souls game, uh, which was called uh, Artorius of the Abyss. Oh ho, another mention of the Abyss. My goodness. I know, it's incredible. Th this goes on in this... It, uh, it's, it includes time travel, so this might be slightly... Uh, Slightly out of whack for some of you, but... Well, it's worth noting before that, that it's already established that the flow of time itself is convoluted... In Lord Run. ...when yeah. you're an undead in yeah. Lord Run. To the undead, the time just passes by willy-nilly, like, whatever. And um, things happen. Yeah. So, the expansion DLC content for Dark Souls... Well, involves a time travel plot where you go out to save a princess or some other in a an ancient kingdom, I hesitate to say, but it's called Ulasil, which is uh, seated very much in the same location that you journey around in the non-DLC content. Just yeah. way back when. It is. <laughs> There are some theories about it ex uh, it being a civilization that existed in an area that you can actually access in the main game, uh, but that is pure speculation. Based, it's on not pure speculation. You have you have uh, similar uh, enemies who roam about and similar environments. Yes. Yeah, and uh, the link between Artorius, one of Gwyn's knights, and his trusty dog who you both encounter in the game itself and the DLC contents. This kingdom of Ulazil, at one point, was a great researcher and creator of various sorceries. In order to further their studies of uh, the sorceries and the art of sorcery, uh, they were convinced by a shadowy creature called Karth, to dig up the grave of Primordial Man, the Furtive Pygmy. Now, based on a few clues in the game, it is assumed 
that the furtive pygmy or the primordial man was kept in a cell because he was not dead. He was the owner of the Dark Soul. He was just laid to rest anyway. He was kept in a cell and experimented upon in various ways. And they did manage to create new sorceries from uh, from their studies of him, but, uh, but they also drove him quite mad. Yes. It's also worth noting that these new discovered uh, sorceries are very much just hexes. But th- that distinction wasn't made at the time. <laughs> no, they were still sorcerers by then, but they were... Um, I believe it's stated that wait, they were forbidden. Through, uh, through these experiments, uh, Manus's mind was broken, and his uh, the, like uh, the only item that he had with him that uh, had any uh, connection to his life before he was dug out of his grave or his life before he was put in the grave as well. We don't know. Uh, was uh, was a small pendant, which you managed to find two pieces of. One in the cell, which is why we assume he was kept in a cell and experimented upon. And the first one you find in your own time, just outside uh, an area which has a lot of uh, crystal creatures. And it's near the corpse of a woman that could very well be a person you then rescue from one of these crystal golems. She turns out to be... The princess of the Ulazil, who's accidentally travelled into the future <laughs> from her... Somehow. Somehow. Through these she forbidden sorceries. <laughs> yeah, and she has to get back. It's also possible that the Ulazil princess... Mm. I can't remember what she's actually called. Dusk. Princess Dusk. Dusk. Yeah. Dusk. Princess Dusk. That it's just a projection that has been trapped that is also in true. a golem. <laughs> Essentially, as soon as you agree to assist her, suddenly a small rift opens and uh, you and you see her being dragged away. You were also dragged away. That is also what, uh, something that happens. Yes, you are in fact grabbed by the hand of Manus. Yep, and we we assume the reason why is because you've just found this other half of this pendant that he's seeking, and somehow he's able to actually find that. Even though it's in another time, another time that doesn't matter. He could just stretch his yep. arm through uh, through the abyss, we assume, to grab you and then just place you in the past. Indeed, fun times. This is uh, this is part of why the abyss is hard to describe because, as it it, it grants some very unusual abilities. Plus, it required a sing it required a single knight to hold it back. We mentioned Artorias before, both in the. Uh, both as one of Gwyn's knights and as the title of the DLC. It hardly required a single knight, it's just that this one knight is the one who kept it at bay yeah. for the longest. And he was uh, quite amazing. I mean, it is implied that if he, he wasn't as uh, as decrepit as he uh, as he was when you encounter him, we, we would never have stood a chance. Mm-hmm. You, you said he was Artorius, right? Because yes. he is Artorius. He is Artorius. His name is Artorius. This is known. This is um, known. This is known. So, Artorius is a knight who, um, curiously enough, is left-handed. His dominant hand is the left, and he uses a sword, a great sword, as his main weapon. When you actually encounter this man in the game, his uh, dominant hand and arm is burnt to crisps. And seemingly broken as well. Yeah, so you, he fights you, 
because at this point he's driven mad by the abyss hmm. and staving it off, which is corrupting himself. Yeah. But uh, he is fighting you with his sword in his right hand, without a shield, his shield which is somewhere else, and being driven by madness. And he is... Uh, it, it, it's, it's a testament to, to why he's also supposedly the most trusted of Gwyn's knights, because he was mm-hmm. the one who Gwyn uh, personally asked to go and keep this thing that he didn't quite know what was at bay, or at least figure out what it was, and if possible. But he managed, even while he was getting corrupted by the Abyss, he managed to still keep it at bay in this... Uh, we Again, we don't know, since Manus had time-traveling capabilities of a sort, uh, it might be able to spread throughout time without actually... Uh, it wasn't actually being contained by Autorius. There's also um, the whole thing about Dusk, who you set out to rescue. You do rescue her in the end. Yeah. Because reasons. But uh, you do that by destroying Manus, the father of the Abyss, presumably also stopping the spread of the Abyss in the same part of doing this act. But when you destroy Manus, Dusk appears from where he stood. Which could imply quite a few things. Quite a few things. <laughs> She was a part of Manus all along, or that uh, Manus simply formed his body around her. There's a lot of different uh, things. It could also very well yes. be that he, uh, he in his uh, when he was defeated, simply forged this body that's looking like dusk, so that he uh, he could you know avoid death. Otherwise, does we? Surely she does mention that she's trapped. Mm. It's stated that she's trapped by Manus. And uh, when you destroy Manus, Dusk is released. But in so doing, uh, she gain comes into possession with part of the Dark Soul. You, as the player, also get part of the Dark Soul. Because you killed him and claimed his soul. But she gets a part of the Dark Soul because she was there. So now she also gets uh, influenced by this dark soul. Should we talk about the shots or daughters of Manus now? Given We're already video. on that track, so why not? Yeah. Yes. So Dark Souls 2, we do see the uh, reappearance of Manus in the form of the daughters of Manus, or the shots of Manus, depending on what you like to call them. In the main game, we encounter Nashandra, this girl who suddenly appeared and became... Uh, King Bendrick's wife and queen, and who convinced him to make war with the giants across the sea. And she, quite literally... I'll mention that that is quite literally what it says. Yes. We're not trying to hide details here. That is exactly what it says. Nashandra... Nashandra is... um, It's uh, it's revealed later that she's holding part of the Dark Soul. She's actually clutching her part of the Dark Soul when you see her in true form. And it is quite an ugly truth for That it is. Also, curiously enough, the only portrait you can find of her in the entire castle which depicts her is cursed and inflicts you with um, the curse of states which is directly linked to abyss and darkness which turns you hollow. Now, there's, uh, there's also the whole thing that uh, she, uh, she was apparently sent there on a specific mission either by the memories of her father, again, air quotes, because, like Nishandra, there were also three other shards of manners that sought out kings 
and kingdoms in order to uh, position themselves as queens. We have uh, Nadalia. Yes, we have Nadalia, the Bride of Ash, who sought out the uh, king of the old Iron Kingdom, but managed to get there too late. He had already gone. He elsewhere. had already left. Yeah. <laughs> so she just figured, well, if I can't be co- if I can't become his rightful queen, then I'll just take over the place and, you know, call myself queen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, she didn't want to be. Uh, she wanted that crown in one way or another, that metaphorical crown, anyway. Then we have was it Elana or El- Elsana? Yes, it's Elana. Uh, Elana, uh, uh, who became the queen of the sunken kingdom of Sanctum. No, Sanctum is just a city. She became the queen of the kingdom of Shulva, and it is believed that she uh, is also the one who eventually caused its uh, downfall by awakening the dragon Sin. Who... No, she didn't awake the dragon. That was another guy who was like, I'm going to fight the dragons. But, uh, but r- uh, rather caused him to gather up all of that um, poison. There's also the whole thing where she sings before you encounter her, which could imp- uh, and there's some uh, item descriptions found on items related to Shulva uh, that suggest that this song was actually used in order to keep the dragon sleeping back when, uh, back before it had awakened and destroyed the kingdom. So, th- uh, so there's also a possibility that she's still keeping uh, Sin sleep uh, or trying to keep Sin sleeping even after the kingdom has fallen. Very possible. Yes. Uh, the third shard, because there's four, Nashandra, Alana, Adalia, and then there is, of course... Alsana is the final uh, shard of manners, and she is uh, described as the reincarnation of the fears of manners. She goes to the kingdom of Eleum Lois in order to become the queen of the Ivory King. That rules there. It should be said that Eleum Lois is actually not... It, it's it's like a city-state kind of thing that is tied to the kingdom of Ferossa. Uh, but it, it's still ruled by a king, but it's... Uh, and it has its own... It, it stands alone of a sword, but it's still part of the kingdom of Ferossa. It's... Um, uh, all of these few places, the, the, the three shards or four shards, are all exist in Drangleic. For whatever reason. Except for Eleum Lois and Alsana. Uh, yeah, which is north of Drang Lake. We don't know how far north, but it's north of Drang Lake. And given the weather conditions, we can assume it's pretty far north. Yeah. There isn't a single part of Drang Lake that you explore that has the same weather conditions as Eleum Lois. Nope. Which is to say, snow, ice, and misery. Yeah. Welcome to The only thing you can find anywhere else in Drang Lake is misery. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> There's plenty of mystery to go around. Come one, come all. Yes. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, you have uh, Nadalia, who is the Bride of Ash, who visits or visits the Iron King in the Broom Tower, or tries to rather, which is a tower situated, I believe, it's in the south of Drang Lake, right? Yeah, or is it that's, in the middle. I, I think it's uh, it's southwest. Ish. Yeah, uh, it's somewhere, somewhere else. It's like southern parts, somewhere. But uh, she visits him there, or tries to, and the stays sun- there. The sunken shank- sanctum city of Shulva, 
it, it kind of se- uh, says it all there. It's underneath Drang Lake somewhere. We don't know any direction, but yes. underneath. Um, it's beneath somewhere, deep, deep down. Thing is that during uh, your initial travels across Drang Lake, you actually come past a few relics of Shulbar, which are below Drang Lake. They're actually below the starting area, the sort of hub zone where you go to praise the sun and uh, rest. And we do also know that the knights that uh, invaded Shulva and eventually caused its downfall were from Drang Lake, not necessarily Drang Lake as it's as we as we know it, but and uh, like Drang Lake as it was at one point, because where where we uh, where we have uh, Shulva focused a lot on miracles and the development of. Miracles and King Bendrick of Drang Lake wasn't too fond of miracles and clerics for that matter. Uh, he did have a sort of of pact with a uh, with Lindelt, uh, which is a country ruled by sorcerers or not sorcerers, clerics, which even had their own dragon order of clerics that I can't remember the exact name of. But the apostles of Lindelt. Yes, he tolerated. Them, but archdrakes—that's what they're called. Yes, the archdrake sect. <laughs> but he did forbid uh, forbid the, uh, uh, any pilgrimages from Lindelt into Drang Lake. Yes, not to say that it didn't happen anyway. But uh, we see uh, we see uh, examples on the archdrake uh, items of him, or, or where it's mentioned that he wasn't too fond of it. Well, one thing that's noteworthy is that in Drang Lake. Uh, Marshalled prowess was valued more than any of the others. Yes. Sorceries uh, are not marshalled prowess. They are not. Claire miracles are okay, sort of. Maybe. Clerics are kind of no. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Vendrick's most trusted knight's servant mm. is, uh, uses miracles himself. And Hexes, apparently. Yes. Although because he spent so much time in the crypt, which is full of dark and hex yes. things, and it's dead not quite, people. But yeah, he, <laughs> but main, mainly his two, his his right and his uh, left hands, they were mainly martial. Even though they also had some abilities outside of that, we also know that the, they came from some other country to serve him. Although what that country might have been and what they were doing before they came to serve as his right. Uh, right and left hands, we don't know. Like many other things, we do not know. That is a bit of a tangent uh, if we go back to the Daughters of Chaos, uh, or not, not Daughters of Chaos, Daughters of Manners, sorry. They, they do serve as various uh, reflections of Manners' state of mind at the point of time where he was defeated by the, un- uh, the chosen undead of the first game. And they also represent several um, of what can be considered guilts in uh, Christianic beliefs. Oh, you're talking about the deadly sin. Uh, no, not the de- deadly sins. Uh, yeah, the deadly sins. Uh, the guilts. Uh, I, so, do, I do seem to recall the primal, uh, primal uh, or primary theory, uh, theory was that they represented the um, the four horsemen. Uh, but uh, hopefully. Uh, Dark Souls Three, it takes a bit a, a bit more of an active step towards actually telling us something about the Void, because all we really get about the Void in Dark Souls Two is these four ladies, and not much the else. Abyss, you mean? Yes. 
the abyss. What did, what did I say? Oh yeah, sorry. You said the void. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's well, that's the, the the only void that exists in Dark Souls is the um, space between all these dots that are not connected. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And Dark Souls three three explicitly is supposed apparently to um, resolve the setting. Yeah, right. Uh, I I'll believe that when I see it. I'll believe that when I see it too. And it most certainly will not <laughs> pull any more lines between these dots. Just gonna put more dots on the map here. Yeah, and, um, uh, and yeah. we'll figure out how to get to them. Yeah. And eventually they'll have to announce Dark Souls 4 because they, uh, they simply could, they could not get, uh, go without another one. That or it will be. Now, we've gone through Demon Souls, we've gone through Dark Souls, next time we're gonna go through, um, uh, what other nasty things exist? We're gonna go through spider souls. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Where every man inside him has a spider. No, no, uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, they actually—they will actually make the next, the next part in this this overarching genre series thing they've got going. Uh, they'll just directly take what fans have named the genre. The next game will be Soulsborne. Soulsborne. Yeah. Yes, of course. We're going to mix them together. <laughs> yeah. So it will be medieval medieval fighting in a Victorian setting. Perfect. Yes. Amazing. Totally. Um still we we uh, keeping going back to actual lore. We have King Vendrick who um studied the soul, the soul itself, the nature of the soul, and he he and his brother researched the soul. Specifically they use the souls of giants among other things. Vendrick specifically uses giants to research the soul, and Aldir uses everything to research the soul. And they come across a few discoveries. I mean, Aldir becomes the scholar of the first sin. The first sin being in reference to the appearance of the first flame. We'll take that as you will. Yeah, well... I would personally assume it has to do with the first flame introducing the duality to the world. It introduces the curse of life, which is the curse of want. That is a very likely scenario. Yes, and uh, as we all know, gluttony is sin. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> He's the scholar of the first sin anyway, and uh, he researches this, and he approaches you several times in the game to tell you about how life is a lie. Yeah, and how? But he also also acknowledges that you, as an undead, are, should be allowed to make your own choice in what you believe and don't believe. So he, he appears mm-hmm. to you in order to tell you what he believes to be the truth, but keeps yes, like, and then pre- he lets you decide: is yeah. this the actual truth that you believe in? Yeah, exactly. He keeps prodding you, say, uh, saying it could be that you believe something else, but you should totally believe what I'm saying. Take what I'm saying and take what you've experienced and then come to your own conclusion, but you should totally agree with me. <laughs> like coach for real, mate. Do you want to suffer the reality that has been constructed upon the lies of your fathers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, things like that. Yeah, more or less. But th- those two researchers, so, and that's part of the reason that Vendrick actually does not take on the throne of wants. Beyond that, he's he's thought of to not be a true monarch, mm. whatever that means. Possibly because he simply decided, I'm not going to sit on that throne and burn myself to fuel the fire. I'm going to find another way. 
part of the reason he also did not sit on the throne was because he uh, he found out that Nashandra was not, in fact, what she claimed to be. He didn't exactly find out what she was, he just found out that she wasn't as loving and caring as he believed her to be. And that And she mostly wanted to just take the throne for yeah. some unknown reason. She, she which... wanted him to sit on the throne so that she could take over once. Yeah, that too. It's also very possible that uh, because she can't access the um, throne of wands herself. No. She doesn't have the required items to do so. Very specific keys. But um, generally, you could, uh, because you have the option in the first game to not link the fire or to link it. Linking it means that you go there and uh, use yourself as fuel to fuel the fire and it burns again. If you don't link it, you let it just burn out. And then you issue the Age of Dark, which is referred to as the Age of Man. <laughs> oh, 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 the implications! Oh, oh. oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, I, I, there, there's a lot about how Dark and Man are like two sides of the same coin. In a, a lot of hints in that direction. Yep. Uh, mostly in the first game, not so much in the second. There's still some, but it's... Uh, especially in what you find in, in Skull of the First Sin, but in the original game, yeah. there's not a lot of reference to it. No, not really. Since most of the things uh, related to the Age of Man and Dark and uh, that is specifically mentioned by Aldia, who is the Skull of the First Sin. There's also a few hints when um, looking at the hexes, which specifically mentioned that there is a certain feeling of um, familiarity. What is it? It, familiarity, yeah. Familiarity and some warmth, like this is something that's missing. Yeah, whenever whenever you interact with the dark. Now, I can't think of anything else that we can take in broad senses. No, we haven't really... Uh, we've mentioned demons, we've mentioned chaos, we haven't really talked about how they came to be, other than quick mention, Witch of Isolith created chaos. Yeah, the Witch of Isolith used the first her soul to try and create a second flame. Yes, more or less. Uh, instead of creating a second flame, this when this experiment went a little bit awry, and she created something that was called the Bed of Chaos, which birthed the demons. Well, uh, she she did not created as much as her and her daughter, daughters that were doing this ritual in order to create a second first flame, they were turned into the bed of chaos. And others uh, others who partook in this, who weren't necessarily part of the ritual, also transformed, such as the son we mentioned, who has later become known as the ceaseless ditch, uh, discharge. But he's mm -hmm. not part of the bed of chaos itself, he's just a, a separate entity. Well, at the same time, the Daughters of Chaos uh, give the Ceaseless Discharge this, because he turns into this huge, monstrous thing that spews lava from his own body, but they yep. give him this ring that uh, eases the pain. Yeah, and he's also uh, charged with looking over the bodies of one of their human sisters, the one, uh, one that didn't actually transform, uh, probably because she died beforehand, we don't know. Uh, in fact, there are only two human versions left of the Witches of Isolith. One, which is a pyromancy trainer called Quelana. Was it Quelan? No, Quelana. No, Quelana is another one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then we have an unnamed dead one 
whom the ceaseless discharge is looking after. Kaylana, we have Kaylan, we have Kaylag, and uh, presumably the dead one, who's probably also called Kale something. It's, it seems to be a thing between their names. Uh, Kaylag is a boss, uh, and we uh, most of you would know her as the spider centaur uh, woman thing. Kelan is not confirmed, but is believed to be the name of the Pale Lady, which is the leader of... Also the, a spider. The, yeah, <laughs> also a spider, and she's also the leader of the Chaos Covenant, and she's the whole reason that you're part of that covenant. It's because you want to feed her humanity so that she can live a bit longer. Poor thing. Yeah, poor thing. Poor thing. Because you killed her sister. Yeah, that too. Monster. Uh, how dare you, <laughs> That is, by the way, the best covenant in that game. I don't care what anyone else says. It is. You it get is. nothing from it, but... Oh, yeah, I get something from it. I get Chaos Fireball. Well, yes. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> but that's all I need. Chaos Fireball Whoop, is a great pyromancy spell. Anyway. Chaos Fireball is good. Chaos is still... It's still like a type of fire, which is more volatile. Yes. For uh, some reason. Yes, it, it, it is. It's 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 fire imbued with more life, therefore making it uh, making it unreasonable and uh, uncontrollable. And mm-hmm. uh, in many ways, that is also what demons are. It is a perverted, uncontrollable form of life that was created when uh, by the life soul when they tried to manipulate it into becoming a new uh, first flame. So uh, the bed of chaos, as Pooch says, uh, is like the birthplace of new demons. It is where they appear from, and it is in the heart of the ruins of Isolith, once kingdom of the witches of Isolith. Other than that, the demons are seen in Dark Souls 2 without much of a uh, much of a uh, explanation. But on the other hand, the chaos is actually also still a thing, and we uh, we talked about the Laem Lois in reference to uh, the Manus' uh, daughters, and what the Laem Lois was built for was specifically to keep chaos at bay. Kind of like what Artorias did with the Abyss, because they the uh, Lame Lois is uh, built upon the uh, a portal to Chaos, which uh, is most likely some sort, uh, it, most likely what was left over of the bed of Chaos once it was defeated in the first game, in order to obtain the soul uh, soul of the Witch of Isolith. You had to defeat it after all. Somewhere there, it, 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 I, I can say that you have the bed of Chaos, which is this tree-like thing mm. with roots everywhere. And then you have the chaos of Ilium Lois, which has spectral ice-looking branch roots that look very much the same. Oh no, that's that's part of the protection spell of it. Yes, but there are still those things, and they look the same as the roots. Oh yes, that's true. And part of the protection scheme was uh, simply to go down into like the the area in which this uh, portal was, and then just fight off anything that you found there. I mean, anything that looked like it wasn't from the real world or whatever you wish to call it. Anything that looked yep. even cl- uh, close to a demon got knocked down. And Chaos is still a corrupting force. So, when, uh, whenever a knight fell to Chaos, he would rise up and then he, his fellows would have to uh, have to beat him down as well. And that that was all that the King of Elaine Lois eventually had to do in order to keep it at bay. He and his knights placed themselves in the middle of it all, and just fought it back. And then Alsana, as we spoke of, and this is part of what makes her so unusual, other than loving her king, actually 
sat down and kept continuous uh, prayer or some sort of ritual that kept the, uh, this chaos locked back in at Liam Lois, and it is uh, it is quite a feat. But on the other hand, she is a child of the abyss. I mean, it's not not any person who has part of the four great souls, even if it's a small part. Then also speaks to uh, to the potential of the abyss, although she also is a part of manners and therefore has a shard of the dark soul within her. There's still likely to be some powers of the abyss at work here as well. Again, another thing that needs to be explored in Dark Souls 3, and I, I hope it is, because the, the demons and the chaos and how it managed to flourish without the bed of chaos is something I would very much like to know. I suppose. It could just be that they exist anyway. The... Um... Well, Funny of course. enough, in, in Dark Souls 2 you have one of the uh, main bosses, which is called Lost Sinner, mm. who specifically is called the Lost Sinner, or Sinner, because uh, sh- she tried to relight the first flame. Similar to how um, the uh, Witch of Isolith and her daughters tried to um, recreate the first flame. And oddly enough, it defeating the Lost Sinner also grants you the l- Witch's soul, or the old witch soul, one of the Which souls. Which is more likely just being a reference. It's known that the four great souls would, by all reason, be continuously exist, and mm. someone would find them. Yep. So, but um, this Lossina having the old witch's soul, the soul of life, is hardly relevant to say it's for any claims that would be that the Lost Sinner is the Witch of Isolith. Oh no, she's not the Witch of Isolith. She's, she's, not. Just an in- she's just an inheritor. Yeah. The same thing as uh, the uh, creature known as the Rotten is hardly Mito. Oh yeah, yeah. She's, despite uh, possessing the same soul. <laughs> and the old, uh, the old Iron King is, in, uh, is by no means Gwyn. Nope. <laughs> I mean, the old Iron King is a demon. No, well, yes, he, sort of. He's called Icarus Earth, but he looks like a big demon. <laughs> it's like a Balrog, if you know what a Balrog is. <laughs> if if you don't, well, too bad, go look it up. I suggest looking at the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. There's lots of Balrogs there. Mostly Not just lots, one. but... There's just one, but that's more than none. <laughs> you won't find Balrogs anywhere else. Or do we? I mean, the name—the name is pretty common in fantasy settings, but it's not always the same thing as a bull rock in the sense that we're talking about. No, of course not. Um, having spoken about flames and stuff, I, I, we could also touch upon fire itself and its role within Dark Souls. Well, fire represents the duality. Yeah, the fire keepers. It represents the duality and, like, the the start of life and the death and. Yeah, everything. The end of life and everything else. Uh, it, uh, it is, it is, its essence, the very representation of the Dark Souls universe, because without without the fire, no, nothing of what we do would be possible. Because there would not be an undead curse, there would not even be life. So fire is in, integral and sacred in any uh, in uh, any and all senses of the word uh, to the living of the Dark Souls universe. But yeah, fire keepers are a thing, and more so a thing in Dark Souls One than Dark Souls Two. Mostly in the sense that in Dark Souls One, it is it is specifically stated that you can't I cannot lit a bonfire without there being a, a 
a firekeeper somewhere that is capable of keeping it lit by linking her soul to it in uh, in some fashion. We get a few examples of bonfire keepers. We get Anastasia of Astora, who starts out with being completely mute, and only through uh, some events which involve her getting killed and then restored to life, uh, in which certain deformities that prevented her from speaking suddenly disappear, and therefore she's capable of talking to you. And she is the main firekeeper of Firelink Shrine, which is like the the place that you will always return to in Dark Souls 1. And also just so happens to be, you know, the place where the kiln of the first flame is stored beneath, or at least the entrance to it is. And it also holds just its sort of central place within Anno Londo, all things considered. Well, not Anno Londo, but Lodren. Anno Londo is a city. Then we have um, the Dark Moon Nighters, I believe it's, she's called. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yes. Knights of the Dark Moon. Yeah. Who she keeps bonfires in Anor Londo. And she also talks about how she can't go too far away from these bonfires uh, in order for, uh, for them to like stay lit. But uh, as opposed to Anastasia, she wasn't in any way crippled or anything that w- would prevent her from moving away from the bonfires. So she has specifically chosen, or so it would appear, to become a firekeeper and stay near to keep these fires lit. You find a lot of dead firekeepers and you can harvest firekeeper souls from, which can be used to upgrade your Estus flask in Dark Souls 1. Hooray! Uh, that's a bit weird. That, yeah, that Generally, one. Estus is another weird thing that undead like to have, which yeah. is like some sort of collected thing that you get from the bonfires. Yeah, something that the bonfires can restore for you, which... Allows you it's to... related to fire. You'd, you'd think it would be like water mixed with embers or something. I don't know. Water and ash. Ash water. No, <laughs> wait, sorry. I believe the secondary Estus flask of, uh, of Dark Souls 3 is called the Ash Estus, so that doesn't work. Mm, that's unfortunate. Although that shouldn't really play a role in our Dark Souls 1 and 2 speculations because Dark Souls 3 is technically not out yet, even if a lot of people are playing it. Of course, but, uh, yeah. This is one of the things we were informed about before it released, so I suppose we can work with it. Yeah, I, I was actually looking here at the list of bonfires in the first game, and I, I thought that they might have pulled something funny out of it. And I was mildly intrigued first mm. when I looked at it and I saw, oh, I'm closing in on 42 bonfires, but there's 43. Okay. There's 43 bonfires in the first game. So, I, co- I couldn't make any hitchhiker jokes now. I'm sad. <laughs> I can't say that fire is... The, the fire is just life and everything. No, I'm sad now. That's really sad. <laughs> in regards to bonfire uh, keepers, there's also bonfire keepers in Dark Souls 2. But you only meet them at the very beginning of the game. And while they do say that they are the last of the fire keepers or the free old fire keepers, that's all we know. So we don't know how bonfires in Dark Souls 2 were actually kept alive if these are the last three fire keepers around. It could be that in, uh, during Vedric's research into how to, uh, how to prevent the uh, 
Curse of the Undead, he managed to create like a sustainable source that wasn't a direct link to someone else's soul. It could also be that the next monarch, as I believe is the fan chosen name for the Dark Souls 2 player character, uh, that he himself or she is offering parts of their soul whenever they light a bonfire. Although that would be silly. Well, I don't know. Yes, I don't know either. It's weird anyway. So, who knows? If anyone knows, I'd be happy to hear. Because you can, you can light a bonfire. You can light a bonfire. You can light some many fires. Force. Yes, but I don't know. The fire keepers in Dark Souls 2 also do not actually keep any fires. They kind of just exist. Yeah, they, they just start out the game for you and they sort of introduce you to things. They also exist in a place called uh, the Things Betwixt, which... Yeah, um, which is some sort of interim area between the Drang- between Drang Lake and wherever you came from. Yeah, and uh, given, uh, given the implications of your arrival, it would seem that it might actually be some sort of some sort of dream realm that functions as a uh, as a funnel for you to enter the actual kingdom of Drang Lake. Yeah. Um, during the intro cutscene for Dark Souls 2, you approach a number of uh, very, very time-worn ruins. Yeah. And then you fall into a black void and end up in things betwixt. Yep. Just just standing there in the, in the middle of... A... Nothing yep. really. A few ruins, but, uh, but suddenly no water because this this void that you fall into it starts out as a whirlpool in a, in the middle of a lake, but no water, nothing. And then... No water. In fact, you end up on one of the altars who look very similar to the same altars used to enter the abyss. Hmm. Yes. But um, it's not quite the same. No, not not entirely. So that's an, another mystery and another implication, if you will. For My goodness, Dark Souls and its lore. <laughs> <laughs> As mentioned at the start of this podcast, Dark Souls is a great place for implications because there is only dots and no lines. Yep, <laughs> there are plenty of things to touch upon. Uh, we promised to touch upon a specific god, or rather goddess. Uh, as we well, we were specifically requested before making the podcast to do so. Yes. Uh, we mentioned that Gwyn and his his kin, or his race perhaps even, are referred to as, as gods. Now, we have a few names of those gods. Among other things, we have Guinevere and Gwendolyn, which are the children of Gwyn. Then we have the flame god Flam. We have uh, the high father Lloyd which was the uncle of Gwyn that I mentioned earlier. Or was it Allfather? Highfather or Allfather? One of those two. Those two. And he he acts both as the god of the web white and as its pope-type character. He's, ahead, uh, he's twice the head of his own religion. And then we have another named character named Velka, who is the goddess of sin. Now, <laughs> we've already talked about the first sin in relation to Algia and the Scholar of the First Sin. And one could argue that given, uh, even though these two games are not as linked as we would like them to be, there's probably some connection between Velka and, that, and, and the First Sin, given that her title is uh, very much the Goddess of Sin. Plus, 
a priest well, of Well, Velka still exists in Dark Souls 2. Yeah, but she's only hinted at. She's never actually uh, actively named. No, but generally, a, I mean, a lot, a few of the characters existing in the first game return as uh, names of gods mm. in the second game. Yes, and we also have uh, a harpy type fear demon thing, which uh, in the first game are related to Velka. We have one of those in Dark Souls Two, but only one. And we also mm-hmm. have the priests of Velka, the partners. We have one in Dark Souls 1, and then we also have one in Dark Souls 2. Both wearing the completely same outfit. It is, of course, also just a possibility that the church has changed and the goddess worshipped has changed, but the practices have remained the same, along with the garbs, but that just seems a bit of a stretch. Very likely. So, uh, so we have partners as well in Dark Souls 2. So Velka is a sort of universal creature, if not in name, then at least in representation. There's also a common fan theory that the intro for Dark Souls 1 is actually narrated by Belka. I don't know how much I believe in that myself, but it's certainly a possibility. I don't know either, actually. I I have never read that theory myself. I've really heard. But, um... I haven't read why. As I recall, it's because, uh, because uh, crows are part of uh, her symbolism, and it, the, it, the intro starts out with us actually seeing a crow flying across, and then it goes into the Age of Ancients, and uh, then talks about the Dora dragons. And that's... Well, then I suppose it could also tie into the first scene. Yes, it could indeed. Uh, and there is as many implications in regards to Belka that uh, relate to her possible existence even before the uh, discovery of the first flame. Because she yeah. uh, she holds power over the other gods uh, that allow her to actively work against them if she so wishes, where, uh, which of course the gods weren't entirely fond of. So in the first game, they had this neat little area referred to as the Painted ver- World of Ariamis, where any relics of Velka, among other things, were pushed away because a- a- anything that was a threat to the gods of Anno Londo was just thrown into this Painted World. Which includes the harpies. Like bird people. Yeah. (laughs) And occult weaponry, which is a type of... Well, it's closely related to the dark type uh, of Dark Souls 2. And also hexes. She's an interesting character, and there is some hope for her returning uh, to Dark Souls 3, given that the Dark Souls 3 intro is given a voiceover by a a female uh, voice similar to that of uh, the first game's intro narrator so uh, the, uh, if if the theory about Velka being the the storyteller of the first intro then there's a good pos- a good possibility that the third intro is also Velka's narration but that's just speculation nothing confirmed yeah uh, speculation speculation abound woohoo just what we want. <laughs> well, that's what we kind of work with here, anyway. So we, we yeah, it is. We won't complain. You you can only do so much with uh, stated facts. And eventually, when we do uh, the, the, um, Elder Scrolls law video, uh, law podcast or podcasts, uh, yeah, well, uh, it could be good, it could be bad, but there will be a lot of theorizing, just like there has been in this one. Factual speculation. 
It's all. <laughs> so, since I figure that we've touched upon most of the um, major topics related to Dark Souls 2, we, we even responded to the specific request mm. to mention Velka and talk a little bit about that god. Yeah. I figure that we will just have to anticipate Dark Souls 3 to perhaps gain some more insight into the setting and the lore yes. of this world. And if uh, you guys, our dear listeners, uh, would want us to continue talking about Dark Souls once we actually have uh, any exposure to Dark Souls 3, do tell us so that we can uh, work towards that. Although that will not come out until we've played thoroughly through the game. And we've seen some other speculation that other people have come up with. It's always nice to have someone to uh, talk things through with in order to possibly expand our own understanding of certain things. But other than that, I think we're about done here, yes? I would say so. Okay. So if there's any... Uh, actually, did you say that? I wasn't listening too well. <laughs> if there's any questions, if there's any questions about what you said, feel free to ask. We, we can elaborate. We yes. can also correct if there's anything we said that is... Um, Complete nonsense nonsense, wrong, or if we missed some vital details, that could be crucial to some theories, yes. or other pieces of information. If there's anything you'd like us to talk about, we'd be happy to, if we know what we're talking about. Very much so. That's amazing, we can research it then. And, um, generally, we love feedback. We do. About what we do, what we might do better, and what we might be doing well already. Indeed. All of it's welcome. Very yes. much so. Uh, any and all feedback will go, uh, go to the Law Implications thread on the RPHQ uh, website or their forums. Rather. Alternatively, just by messaging either myself, Pooch, or... Mycroft. On Engine. On on Engine. Yes. We can be found easily, sort of. Mycroft's easiest to find. And I am? Generally. Okay. He is. <laughs> and you are. Certainly. I mean, do you have the thread? I haven't even posted it. Ah, uh, yes, I suppose <laughs> true. Otherwise, meanwhile, we'll just have to um, thank you for listening on our part, and on, on part of our excellent editor, Nick Transu. That's all for now, from Lower Implications. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs>